All right, let's look at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We are continuing, continuing our study on the second coming of Christ. Uh, this week we're looking at, we're continuing our look at the kind of an introduction to uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians as it relates to the coming of Christ. Um, so as I said last week, the, uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, every chapter of this book and of its companion book, 2 Thessalonians, mentions something about the coming of Christ. And actually a large portion of the book, those two books, are dedicated to that subject. And so I'm kind of using, I want to kind of use 1 and 2 Thessalonians as kind of like a main, a main portion of our study as it relates to the rapture. We've already looked at some of 2 Thessalonians uh, and the section in, uh, <clears throat> that deals with the, 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 the second advent of Christ and the coming judgment. And uh, so we're going to just review chapter 1 and what we looked at in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, and then we'll continue on in chapter 2. Uh, let's pray together to begin. Lord, thank you uh, for, for your blessings and the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for each and every person here. Lord, we, uh, Lord, we don't gather together uh, out of some religious duty uh, because we think we're, we're earning some sort of favor with God. Lord, our desire in our meeting together at church this morning is to just please you and to uh, know more about you, to learn more about you. Lord, you, you know the hearts of each and every one of us here. You know what our needs are, both spiritual and otherwise. Lord, you know uh, exactly where we are in our lives and the burdens we bear. And uh, Lord, there are, many, there are a number of people that aren't here this morning because they are bearing burdens right now uh, that are difficult. Lord, would you please give grace to those people? And would you please strengthen them and encourage them and if they need a physical healing, would you please give them that healing? And, uh, but most of all, I pray that uh, each and every one of our souls would be well, would be healthy, and would prosper, uh, despite what the flesh uh, might do or how it might not cooperate with what, uh, with what, our, uh, what, what we would desire. Lord, bless our study. We pray we commit this time to you as we as we focus on your word and as we uh, think upon what it says, Lord, would you please, through your spirit, speak to us, each one, and uh, guide and direct in, in uh, both the hearing and the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, just a couple of things before we read verses 9 and 10, is there's a few things. Last week, we, I showed you the, uh, the graph and I'll probably show that again at some point uh, if, if, I, you know, if I think it's necessary. Or if you think it's necessary, that would be fine too. Just let me know. But uh, the graph which showed kind of the, the divisions of time as it relates to, to the coming of the Lord. We looked at the, uh, the four primary views of the rapture. Can anybody tell me what those are? Can anybody tell me what those are? Before I do that, think about that a minute. So there's a couple of things. There's a few things that are not, you know, broadly speaking, that are not contested, that are not argued, all right? Number one is that there will be, there will be a literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem on the earth. He will rule the world. He will rule the world, all right? So that's called the, 
That's called the millennial reign of Christ. That is a literal millennium. The Bible is very, very clear about that. We don't argue that. Even people that we might disagree with don't argue that. There are groups that do argue that. We're not one of them. And uh, the Bible's very crystal clear on that. All right. Number two, things that are uncontested, uncontested facts. In other words, nobody argues about them. There will be a literal second advent or coming of Christ in judgment. That, and, and no matter what you might believe or what some, I should say, might believe about the rapture, the fact of Christ's personal return in judgment to set up his kingdom is not argued. Everybody accepts that, okay? Pretty much everybody accepts that. Now, the third thing that is also widely accepted, and listen, I'm saying I'm using terms widely accepted, and what I'm not trying to say is we, we don't get our doctrine from the consensus. It's not because we believe it because, because you know, most people believe. No, 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 no. We got our doctrine straight from the Scripture and nothing else. But as it relates to our, our lesson, you know, we, we, some of these things overlap with some of these ideas, and I want to be able to address them as we, as we come to the verses that are relevant, okay? So the third thing is that is pretty much not contested. Everyone agrees that there will be a rapture of God's people. Whether, you, whether a person believes in the pre-tribulation rapture, the mid-tribulation rapture, or the pre-wrath rapture, or the post-tribulation rapture, or the partial rapture, no matter the position on that, the fact of the rapture, that the Lord will come, he will call his saints uh, that are dead to, to, to rise from the dead, and those that are alive and remain will go to be with him. That is also widely accepted. The question then is this, when does that rapture occur? That's the, that's the, uh, the, the fulcrum, and that's the point at which there's some, uh, there's some debate. So, so you have the, those three uncontested facts. So of the, what, what are, and I just gave them away, the four, so you got a free, you got a freebie on your test, okay? You got a freebie. You have the pre, you have the pre-tribulation rapture, the pre-wrath or mid-tribulation rapture. You have post-tribulation rapture, which is the one that seems to be people are liking more and more. And I, as I said before, I think that's a result of it being kind of along the lines of more generic or more big tent. You know what I mean by that? Big tent. In other words, the bigger the tent, the better people like it because they're less, there's less to quibble about basically. And some people, that, they're attracted to that. That doesn't mean it's in the Bible, but that's they're attracted to. It's just a, a fact of human nature. And then you have the partial rapture, and we'll deal with that some today, hopefully. So those are the four positions. Uh, just as a review, pre-tribulation means that the rapture of the, of the saints will happen before the tribulation begins. Mid-tribulation means that the rapture of the saints will happen during the tribulation, sometime in the middle, but most people think that hold that position, believe that it'll happen before God pours out His judgment. The post-tribulation rapture means that the rapture of the saints will happen right before Jesus returns in judgment. Okay, so basically, the the saints are raptured; they go to meet Jesus in the clouds, and then they put on the brakes, do a U-turn, and come right back. That's basically what what. It's a lot of work. Well, the good thing is we will not be expending the energy for such a case. But, well, actually, it's moot anyway. All right. And then, of course, partial rapture is, uh, is the one where the, there's the position where only people who are right with God 
will be raptured. And saints, Christian believers who are not right with God but are saved will endure God's wrath and tribulation. Boy, I'm, I, if there's one thing that I, I hope I've dismantled is that crazy idea. So, all right. Uh, because we, we've covered that in some detail. All right, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, verse number 9. Now, we read this last week. I'll add a few points, and then we'll go on to chapter 2. Verse 9 says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, we talked about what the wrath to come is. This cannot be a reference to judgment when someone dies and they die without God and they they go to hell. Because this is a future wrath. And this future wrath is actually spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So the wrath to come is the wrath of God poured out yet yet future. Okay, so it's future to us as well, not just to this the writer of 1 Thessalonians, Apostle Paul. But notice, uh, so we talked about that, and we talked about the how that Christians are not under the wrath of God in any way, fashion, or form. The closest thing, and it's not even a closest thing, just by way of comparison, the only wrath that a Christian might endure, and I don't think you can call it wrath, but something similar, is is the same kind of thing that a disobedient child would receive from its parents if it persisted in disobedience. It's corrective corrective chastening or, or a correction from the father. It's not punitive. So we have no wrath to we have no wrath. If you have believed in Christ, you do not need to fear God's wrath. And this is I've said this, I'll say it again because I think this is an important point that this is a this is a matter. This this particular point is something that is significant as it relates to a lot of different kinds of doctrines. Did you know there are people, people that teach that a person who is saved can lose their salvation? And then, they, and then in, in places, in churches and, and doctrines where that's taught, the wrath of God is used as a threat to get people to live a certain way. It's used as a threat. And, you know, I have people in my own family, in my own family, my flesh and blood, who to this day are somewhat enslaved in their, in their minds to this idea because they heard a preacher say, if you do this, you're going to hell. If you do that, you're going to hell. Now, you're going to hell if you don't believe in Christ. You don't, you don't, you're not, you've not been born again. But if you're born again, you're not going to hell. Some people, that makes people uncomfortable sometimes. Well, well, then why would I live for God? You've totally missed it if you think that, right? You've totally missed it. We don't serve God because because if we don't, He's going to throw us into hell. We serve God because we love Him. We serve God as an answer to His great mercy and grace upon us. How can we but serve God, right? That's, That's the motive. That's the motive. And besides that, besides that, you know, why would a Christian serve God if he's not under the threat of hell fire? Well, it's simple. 
It's because God has changed our hearts, right? We are born anew. We are new creatures. And that is the reason that we, we have a desire to serve God. Do we do it without error? No. Do we mess up? Often. But, but again, the fact of a Christian having been delivered from the wrath of God, both present and future, is an important point for us to nail down. And it gives us confidence that our, our relationship to God is secure. Is secure. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> let's look at verse number 10 again. The Bible says, and, well, we have to look at verse 9. I'm sorry, because it starts with and. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. Okay, so what you have here is you have a very brief summary of the history, the spiritual history of the church at Thessalonica. Do you not? Well, look at verse 9. Paul went there. In fact, chapter 1 has a good summary of how Paul entered into Thessalonica. He preached the gospel. They heard the gospel. They, the verse, verse 9 says they turned to God from what? They turned to God from idols. That's when they believed. They repented of their idolatry. They turned to God from idols. And what does it say in verse, verse 9? to serve the living and true God. So a person hears the gospel, they turn from sin, they believe in Christ, and from that moment begin to serve Him until when? Verse 10. Until Jesus comes. What's interesting to me, and I think these two verses touch on an important point, it they touch on an important point, is that there's a, there's a certain kind of progression. So the Lord, through Paul, tells, tells the Thessalonians that they, he summarizes their spiritual life, both present and, uh, past, present, and future. And he says, you, you heard the gospel, you turned from idols, you serve the living God now, and you're waiting for his son from heaven. So what that verse tells us is that the, the return of Christ in verse 10 was something that was imminent to that church, right? They, they had been saved. They were serving God until Jesus came. That's what the verse 10 says. They were, what was the next thing they were waiting for? They weren't waiting for an antichrist. I mentioned this before. They weren't waiting for judgments. They, weren't, they were waiting for Jesus, Right? That means that his return is imminent. Imminent means it's immediate. It is at hand. I looked up the word, of course. The word imminent simply means, let me get to my note here. It means close at hand, ready to fall, coming on shortly. So they had been saved. They were serving God and they were serving God, waiting for the next thing to happen. And the next thing is the Son of God coming from heaven for them. And I think that's very important. There is no indication in these verses that the, that the return of Christ was far off. Look at, them. Look at them and ask yourself, is there any indication in these verses that Jesus' return could be far off? No. In fact, the fact that, the fact that Paul says it to the Thessalonians indicates that they, he's telling them Jesus could come at any time. 
You're, you, first century Thessalonica church, you could, be, you, you could be alive when Jesus comes, right? That's what he says. That church, I know sometimes we read the Bible and we're thinking of ourselves, and that's fine and good. But the first and primary way we interpret the Bible is the historical way. That is, we look at those people to whom Paul was writing. And Paul was writing to that church in Thessalonica, and he says to that first century church, you are waiting for his son from heaven. That means his return was imminent then. It was ready to happen then. Right? They weren't waiting on some other thing. They certainly weren't waiting on the wrath of God. They were waiting on Jesus. Right? How much more? If it was imminent, and this is, this is one of the references in the Scripture that teaches us of the imminence of Christ's return. See, people, here's why it's important that we understand the imminence of Christ's return. And that means that Christ could return in the rapture at any moment. Here's why that's important. Because people that believe in the post-tribulation rapture cannot believe in the imminent return of Christ. You know why? Because there are major events that must happen first. Right? It's not upon us. It's not ready to happen at any moment. That is what's being described here. They got saved, they were serving God, and they were waiting on Jesus. Right? We got saved, we're trying to serve God, and what are we waiting on? We're waiting on the Lord from heaven. There are no, listen, there are no intervening events, signs, judgments, antichrists, or anything that, that, inter, that are in the, this intervening period that we're waiting for before His Son. No, His Son could come at any time. This is why, this is one reason we, we believe in the in, imminent return of Christ. The imminent return of Christ. And if you look at first uh, Romans, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 13, if you would, look at that real quick. Hold your place in 1 Thessalonians. Romans 13 and verse number 11. Look at that. What does it say? It says, Romans 13, verse 11, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Now, again, we're going to get to this in just a minute. This salvation is not the salvation of the soul. If, if you mess that up, you're just going to throw off a whole bunch of other things. We already have salvation of the soul. This is the salvation of the body. This is when Christ comes, right? Now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. So I'll make this quick point. If in, in 1 Thessalonians, if Paul told them that they were waiting for his son from heaven in the first century, how much more, how much closer are we to Christ's return in the 21st century? Right? And I'll say this and move on. According to the Bible, Jesus could come and rapture us out of here at any moment. There is no other thing that we are waiting on except Him. That's what this verse is showing us. Now, that truth, I'll be honest with you, has not always brought me a lot of joy. 
there are times when that truth was a little bit troubling. Not for fear that I was not, not be a part of that, that crowd, but for fear of meeting the Lord unprepared. But that truth should bring us joy that at any moment we're out of here. At any, but I'll be honest with you, there are, there, and we'll cover this later, but there, there are family members that I have that that truth troubles me for them. Right? Because we know that what is to come, the wrath to come, right? Verse 10. Now look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Look what it says. The last clause, it says, uh, And wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, if you follow the grammar, which delivered us, that's past tense, right? The deliverance is done. It is past tense. But the wrath is what? Yet. The deliverance is past tense, but the wrath is yet future. It says wrath to come. So we're not waiting to be delivered. We're not, we're not wondering if we're going to be delivered from that time of judgment. No, we have been delivered. It's done. That's why it's past tense. So when we got saved with that, we were not only saved from the wrath of God as it relates to our sin and our soul, but we say he saved us from all wrath, including the wrath of the future. So really, be escaping the wrath to come in God's judgment is really a matter of salvation. That's what it's about. Have, have you been delivered from your sin? That's the question. All right, look at chapter 2, verse number 18. Chapter 2, verse 18, look what it says. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan delivered us. Uh, <laughs> delivered us. Satan hindered us. Sorry about that. Once and again, but Satan hindered us. Verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. So the coming of Christ is going to be a time of great rejoicing. It'll be a time, he mentions the crown, the joy before the presence of the Lord. So it's a time of uh, when the Lord will reward His people for their faithfulness, right? It's a period of reward. And we know reward is a, is a double-edged sword. You have reward and then you have loss of reward, right? That's also in uh, 1 Corinthians. But but for our purposes here, it says that this will be a time of, re of reward and in which the Lord will reward us for our faithfulness. It'll be a time in which all Christians, all believers will be together. All Christians will be together. There will, there will be in that band, there will be none, not even a single soul that does not know and believe the Lord Jesus Christ. We will all be together. 
And the way in which, what this verse shows, is the way in which our lives touched and affected one another as believers will be seen clearly and will be rewarded. Now, what do I mean by that? You see, in this verse, it says, Paul says to the, to the Thessalonians, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? So, Jesus comes. Paul goes with Him. We go with Him. The Thessalonian believers go with Him. And we're all with Jesus. I guess, I assume to be, this would be the day when the Lord examines our works, right? To see what we've done for Him. How faithful we were to Him. We're all with Jesus. Everyone is together. And Paul looks over and he sees the Thessalonians that he had led to the Lord, that he had not only led to the Lord, but he had taught, he had helped to grow, he had invested in, and he, standing before the Lord, sees them and his heart is filled with joy because of their presence. He sees them, and, the, and this book says that they were faithful to sound out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, right? They, they not only believed in Christ, but they lived for God through the investment of Paul in them, right? Paul sees the rewards they get. Paul gets great joy from their faithfulness because that is a result of his work. And so he sees them and he says, and the Lord perhaps maybe looks at the Thessalonians and says, you believed on me through the ministry of Paul. And so that's a crown to Paul. And, but the point is, what's being examined here is the relationship that we all have with one another and how our lives have influenced and affected other people's spiritual growth. Right? And that will be a source of joy. You think of those gypsies in, in Bulgaria in whose lives Pastor Stewart had invested, has invested. That's not lost on the Lord. That's not lost. He will remember. And those gypsies will remember. The people that we ministered to in Cambodia who heard the gospel, some of whom uh, got saved, some of whom maybe were not saved through our ministry, but were, they grew up in the Lord and led others to Him that will all, those people will be present and those people will be a source of joy to me and probably a source of sorrow that there were not more, to be honest with you. But it'll be a time when all of those connections are made manifest. Philippians chapter 4 verse 17 says this. It says this. Paul says to the Philippians, who gave him money for his ministry as a missionary. He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So the Philippians had an account with God. Paul had an account with God. The Philippians gave money to Paul, and God put that on their account, their ledger, if you would. And then the Philippians, when they gave money to Paul, God put it on, that, on, on their account. And then when Paul went and preached the gospel to other people, other people were saved and grew and followed God. That went back on. It rippled down to their account even more. And this is what we're talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. How do you think those Philippians will feel 
when they know that their investment and sacrifice has now come back and the Lord's going to reward them on their account for what they had done for Paul. Is that going to be a source of joy when the King of glory, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of lords looks at you whose opinion is the only opinion that matters? His opinion is the only one that matters. I'll say it again. His opinion is the only one that matters. And he is the one that says, you did well. You did well. You deserve a reward for what you did. That's this period. This is a time of rejoicing. But how does that, what does that say about the way we should invest in one another and in people who aren't saved to share the gospel with them? You know, you think about something as simple as money and offerings. You know, you think about you put money in the offering plate. No, it doesn't look like a plate to me. You put money in the offering box, right? And that money is taken. And what have we been doing recently? with that money. Well, that money is, of course, pays all the bills and that kind of thing. But, you know, we bought letters for the sign, right? And the, so, that, so that the sign, the sign can have a message that people see it, you know? That ripples back to the people that give money. You think about, we're, you're changing out the lights in the, in the building, certain lights in the building, and that creates a brighter atmosphere and, and a more warming and inv- inviting place. That's, that's a result of that you know, of that sacrifice and that, that, those offerings. You think about the missionaries that we support every month. That is all part and parcel of the same period of rejoicing where those things come back in this final day when the Lord or, just lays it all out and, he said, and, and we will look at all that and we'll say it was worth it. It was worth it. But listen, this should be a reminder to us that we should Absolutely, and on purpose, intentionally give ourselves to the service of one another, regardless of if we have a title of preacher or pastor or teacher or whatever. Service should be something that every believer is involved in. Every believer takes part in. Because that is the... Paul says to, to those that he served, he says... You are my crown of rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. I served God for you, and now you're here, and I'm rejoicing over it. Let's look at chapter 3. Very quickly, I think we'll only get through chapter Four, we won't get to chapter 5 today. Chapter 3, verse 13. I'll pass this uh, just very briefly. To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I'll just say this briefly. The coming of Christ with all his saints. That's a, that's a feature of the second advent when Jesus comes in judgment because all the saints come with him, all right? Those that are with him, they come with him to establish his kingdom. And uh, so we'll just keep passing, but, it, but I'll just note that chapter 3 does mention, mention the coming of the Lord. We've already covered that in, some, uh, in a little bit of detail before. Okay, chapter 4, look at verse number 13. We'll read verse 13 to verse 18. No doubt the most famous 
and well-known chapter as it relates to the rapture. Look at verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. This is, of course, not sleep in the bed. This is death, okay? That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that means to go before, them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, a couple of things I want to say in regards to this passage in general. Number one, in verse 15 says, We which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. First thing I want you to see is that this is passage which deals with the rapture of the saints. This rapture happens in conjunction with the coming of Christ. It is not an event that happens separately. It happens when, when Jesus comes. All right, that's the first thing. The second thing I want us to see is in verse 15, also in verse 17, is that there will be saints who are alive when He comes. There will be people who are alive when He comes. And that's also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, which says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall not all sleep. It means there's going to be some of, us, some of us that are alive when the Lord returns. So the Lord returns, and then there's this rapture. Let's deal with the word rapture really quick, because, of course, the word is not found in the Bible, and people that don't believe in the rapture like we believe in the rapture will say, well, that word's not in the Bible. That is, that is such a straw man argument, because there are many things we believe, terms we use that aren't in the Bible, but refer to things that are in the Bible. The Trinity... Uh, there's, I mean, there's lots. There's just, there's just lots of things that, uh, but Trinity is probably probably the most common. Okay, so the word rapture comes from verse seventeen. Verse seventeen says, "Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them." Caught up. Now, the word caught up. The word caught up is where we get the word rapture because the word rapture means to be caught away, to be caught away, snatched away. That's what it means. So you think the word caught up, you think you're just living your life and this is, this is what it indicates now. You're just living your life. I can, you know, you just, you, you turn to God, you serving the Lord and you're waiting for His Son from heaven and one day He comes and He just literally snatches you out of this world, body and all. It doesn't mean you like your, your soul, like you, you, your body, you just die and then, you know, your body just collapses and you're, no, no, no. This is a, a physical rapture, right? Because it says that the dead in Christ will rise. 
our bodies will be changed, 1 Corinthians 15. So he snatches us away and we're gone. That's it. We are not like Enoch, right? He walked with God and was not, which means he disappeared. (laughs) That's what it meant, all right? Look at a couple of verses that deal with the, what I want to show you is a couple of, a few verses. Look at Matthew 13, if you would. Matthew 13. <clears throat> this is the parable of the sower, verse 18. Matthew 13, verse 18, the Bible says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away. Catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. And that's referring to the birds. In the parable, it's the birds take the seed, right? A man sowing seed, and some fall by the wayside. And what do birds do? They come, up, they, come, they, they come and land on the ground near the seed, and what do they do? They snatch the seed up, right? That's what they do. This is the same word, the same Greek word that is used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Catcheth away, like the bird taking the seeds. The seeds are, are no longer. They're gone. All right? Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This is a familiar passage. Now I want you to guess which word in this verse is is the word that is translated from the same word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Which word? 1 Thessalonians chapter 10 verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Somebody guess. What's the word? Pluck, exactly. All right? Pluck, same word. Acts chapter 8. Look at Acts chapter 8 if you would. Again, another, another familiar passage. Same word used. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So basically, Philip and the eunuch were just chit-chatting, talking. The eunuch turned his head to go look at something. He turned back, and Philip wasn't there, right? The Spirit of the Lord did it, and all of a sudden, Philip appeared in a different place. You say, well, I don't believe that happens. Well, I'm sorry, but that's what happened. And that's what's going to happen to all of God's people one day. Same word, caught away, caught away. Now go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll have to conclude here in a second. Look at verse number 13 again. The introduction to this passage says this, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. So, if you were to ask people, if you were to to walk up to somebody 
and you were to say, do you believe in the rapture? And they're going to say, yes. And you were to say, well, what, what verse of Scripture, upon what verse of Scripture do you believe in the rapture? Do you believe teaches the rapture? Ten out of ten people are going to say this passage. And it does teach the rapture. But there's one thing that this passage does not teach. And it does not teach when the rapture is going to happen. There's nothing in this passage that tells us the time. In fact, look at the next verse in the, in the, in the book. What's the next verse after chapter 4? What's it say? Ari, what's it say? Read it for us. After, after that. That's where the Lord talks about the time. But chapter 4 doesn't deal with the timing at all. So you can't say, well, we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture because of 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. No, no, no. That doesn't talk about the time. What this is primarily dealing with, what this is primarily dealing with is the question of loved ones who have died who are believers in Christ. That's what chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 are talking about. It's talking about. It's talking about the question of, you have these brand new believers. They turn from idolatry. They have recently, just recently believed in Christ and their family members, some of whom have believed, have died and they want to know what happened to them. What's going to happen to them? And Paul answers that with a, a teaching about the resurrection of the body. So this passage is actually a passage about the resurrection of the body, which happens at the rapture. And we'll wait for another day, another, another lesson to talk about that because that's an important part of the, the um, uh, that's an important part of the, uh, the rapture is the resurrection of the, of the body. But I'll just say this and we'll have to finish is that the, when the rapture happens is not here. And that's, all, that's the main thing I want you to understand. The when is what we're going to have to examine next week. The when starts in chapter 5. But what this passage does is it establishes the what, right? That the rapture is a thing that's going to happen. It establishes that the rapture is, is uh, an event that will take place. And uh, putting them together, we can see that it's the next thing we're, we're waiting on, waiting on Jesus to come from heaven, all right? Let's pray.